Episode 1, The Half-Blood Principle. If you are asking yourself, how did I end up listening to an erratic, not erotic, but erratic podcast that sole focus is to discuss Severus Snape, I honestly would be asking myself the same question. Maybe you, too, want to know more about his motives throughout the Harry Potter series. Perhaps you've always had a soft spot for Snape and want to unravel his symbolism, like I do. Or maybe you barely speak English and accidentally clicked on this podcast thinking it was about a school principal who lost half of their blood in some sort of vampire fantasy. Whoever you are and whatever brought you here, you are most certainly welcome. So grab a sandwich or a glass of wine, unless you're operating a motorized vehicle, and have a listen. I will briefly introduce myself, very briefly in fact because I am not the subject of this podcast, but I feel like you should know who is babbling on through your earbuds. The quick version is this. Name, Claire. House, Ravenclaw. Occupation, college student. Yes, that is an occupation. When did I discover Harry Potter? June of 2020. Just over six months and I've already been through the series twice. <sighs> no doubt I will reveal more information about myself as we go along, but those are the basics. On to the purpose of this podcast, which must have you all on the edge of your seat. Or not. I really don't know. You may be asking, why the name Half-Blood Principle? Half-Blood, of course, refers to the first part of Snape's self-proclaimed title, and Principle is my not-so-clever play on words to complete the reference. I promise I won't be shoving any more definitions down your throat after this one, but I felt it was necessary. The Oxford Dictionary defines a principle as a proposition that serves as the foundation for a system of belief, behavior, or chain of reasoning. That is precisely what I will be offering. Propositions and ideas that have led to my opinion of Snape as we travel through all seven books and the movies. I have decided to take part in this one-sided conversation with my laptop because I need a place to discuss my thoughts that I have formed whilst rereading the Harry Potter series. Every ounce of assumption I make over these episodes are entirely from my own stream of consciousness, though there will be times when I use quotes from the books and information from Laurie Kim's book entitled Snape, A Definitive Reading, but I will cite those sources when they come up. I should also point out that J.K. Rowling created each one of these characters and circumstances, and I am merely interpreting them in my own disjointed fashion. Everything in Harry Potter's magical world is entirely her own. One last disclaimer before I dive into our first topic. Anyone is welcome to listen to this podcast and will not, I repeat, will not be discriminated in any way for any reason. You are you. You are wonderful, you are respected, and you are strong. I cannot stress enough that everyone is welcome here. Now that all of that has been said, for those of you still listening, I will give you an overview of what is to come. But I warn you that this episode will probably be the most organized and things will only get crazier from here. 
I have in front of me my notebook with many scribbled paragraphs, because I actually hate typing, that are full of random theories, speculations, observations, and lots and lots of questions. Most of them are about Snape, obviously, but I would be foolish not to bring up the other two characters, Albus Dumbledore and Minerva McGonagall, who make up what I will refer to as the Professor Trio. And don't fret. Harry, Ron, and Hermione will be mentioned, of course, since they are who the story is about, along with any other characters who influence Snape's narrative. Also, please feel free to disagree with any or all of my so-called conclusions. Where is the fun if everyone agrees on everything? Especially when it comes to literature. I mean, isn't that the whole point? That we are all at liberty to interpret plots and roles and choose what we believe based on our own experiences and emotions, but I will get off my soapbox for now and continue. So, the overall timeline that I'm going for is several episodes for each book. I cannot set a certain number of episodes for a specific book because I have not written every episode script in advance. I am creating this as I go along, so I might find myself devoting an entire episode to only one of Snape's lines, or covering many chapters all at once. I can, however, promise to go off on loads of tangents and dwell on specific details that are probably meaningless in the grand scheme of things, but bring me joy. Looking ahead, though, I am currently studying the Occlumency lesson chapters and am foreseeing myself using several episodes to discuss those. Nevertheless, I hope to release weekly episodes and will allocate an entire installment at the end of each bundle of episodes that summarizes its respective book and takes a look at the corresponding movie. Depending on how this goes, I might want to hear and or discuss your perspectives in those recap episodes as well, but more to come on that a bit later. My crazed scribbling has led me to create a few categories that I will give points to as we go along, just like the houses get points. I have two sections at present, and their point values are getting steadily higher as we speak. The first tally is called Trusting Snape. I know, right? What a bizarre concept. And points will be awarded to this count every time there is a moment when any character shows confidence in something Snape has said, done, or taught, either directly or indirectly. Half points can and will be given if the situation is not entirely canon, but something I could envision happening. Because I'm in charge. The second score will be referred to by the acronym AYFS which stands for Are You Freaking Serious? Censored for the young ones listening in, but I am sure the rest of you know what I am saying. A point is given each time Harry winds up in a situation that would require someone, i.e. Snape, because that is his job, to step in and save him. And there is something like five points alone in the first book. So get it together, Harry. Now that you have the nuts and bolts, I shall move right along into our first topic. Here we go. My heart is actually starting to beat a little faster because I'm ridiculously excited about sharing my musings with someone other than my journal. This idea falls pre-book and includes many spoilers, as all of my episodes will, so you have been warned. Thus, a timeline discussion. This might be a bit far-fetched, but I hope you find it mildly compelling. 
Assuming that Dumbledore, McGonagall, Snape, and Hagrid were all at Hogwarts on Halloween night, this is my speculated version of who went where and when, using Snape's memories revealed in Deathly Hallows, coupled with the information from the first chapter of The Sorcerer's Stone. Voldemort's killing of Lillian James Potter in Godric's Hollow set an avalanche of decisions into motion. My theory is that Snape noticed his dark mark suddenly burning, almost unbearingly so, and then fading to something of a dull smudge when Voldemort curses the Potters and attempts to do the same to Harry. Based on what we know about the dark mark, it is most visible when Voldemort is at his strongest, hence the slow reappearance as he gained power during Goblet of Fire, and would have been very prominent at this point in his reign of terror. This abrupt fading of the Dark Mark prompted Snape to conclude that something had to have wounded or temporarily incapacitated Voldemort. With Godric's Hollow being primarily a wizarding community, no doubt the news traveled like lightning. I mean, people were shouting it from the streets. It might have been a combination of Bathilda Bagshot and members of the Order of the Phoenix who informed Dumbledore, or honestly, he could have felt the disappearance of such dark magic. Because Dumbledore. He knew something must be done to retrieve the child, so he looked to Hagrid, knowing it would take a good deal of power to stun or curse someone of Hagrid's size if the Death Eaters were still on the prowl. Snape presumably wasted no time in rushing to Godric's Hollow, only to find his worst fears confirmed. The woman he loved, his childhood best friend, the only one left on the earth who had once understood him, was gone. That was really dramatic and I apologize. So, an utterly distraught Snape said his final goodbye and returned to Hogwarts. At the same time, Hagrid sought out an enraged and inconsolable Sirius Black to borrow his motorcycle so he could see Harry to safety. McGonagall, who learned of the plan from Hagrid, left at once for Privet Drive to assume her position of spy, as a cat, no less, as she had done so many times prior for the Order. I can only expect that Dumbledore had shut himself and a heartbroken Snape in the headmaster's office for the evening, and possibly into the next day, where they could speak absolutely freely. Here, the agreement to protect the child was struck, and Dumbledore left a grief-stricken Snape as he departed to meet Hagrid and this miracle child named Harry. I can't imagine the mingled relief and sadness they all must have felt, I mean, after all the spying, the secrets, the battles, the efforts to keep everyone safe, this war ended with two of the worst casualties imaginable. No wonder McGonagall wanted to go sit alone on a muggle street for an entire day. She probably couldn't bear to hear the shouts of celebration. She had to process her grief just as everyone else was doing. Although Snape really didn't do a very good job of processing, did he? Out of the five stages of grief, Snape maybe went through two and a half. But the mere knowledge of Lily's existence and Dumbledore's assurance that he could help the Potters stay hidden was enough to keep Snape from returning to Voldemort's clutches during the war. 
And we cannot deny that Snape is perhaps one of the smartest characters in the entire series, no matter how you may feel about him. He's clever, he's quick-witted, he's academically advanced, but he is very calculating and shrewd in every situation. Simply by knowing most of Voldemort's plan, I can't help but wonder if Dumbledore was worried that Lily's death would just totally unhinge Snape. If anyone could search for and restore Voldemort, it could have been Snape. Easily. Without the thought of Lily keeping him sane and on the right side, there is no telling what he might have done. So Dumbledore, who would have realized this, convinced Snape to watch over this boy, Lily's boy, because Voldemort had not been permanently defeated. Like, there's no way. No way Voldemort could have been wiped off the earth by a literal toddler. But anyway, Dumbledore gave Snape a job because he is a goal-oriented human. I mean, in book one, he attempts to thwart Professor Quirrell, aka Voldemort in a turban, and avenge his life debt to James. Or so Dumbledore says. Book two shows Snape teaching the insanely important Expelliarmus and joining the uproar about how the Chamber of Secrets is now open for business. Just keeping Harry alive despite an escaped prisoner who becomes the beloved Sirius Black, Lupin the Werewolf, and the little traitor Rat Boy is his quest in book three. Book four is Just Keep Harry Alive Until Tomorrow, the sequel. Now book five is the spy thriller we've all been waiting for, where he attempts to show Harry how to tell his remaining brain cells to shut up, while book six makes Snape balance the unbreakable vow and Harry's usual suspicion of Draco Malfoy. Finally, book seven brings Snape to his hardest task yet, having to show false allegiance to Voldemort, all while trying to keep Harry from harm even though he has literally no idea where this boy is. No wonder this man is grumpy. So, that little infomercial that you just heard is a super condensed version of some of the themes of the upcoming episodes. And do not think I have skimmed over Snape's grief and the events following James and Lily's deaths. You can bet that the brief references to Snape's memories I have just brought up will be revisited when we reach Book 7. This is only a taste of what is to come, and hopefully I have succeeded in piquing your interest, I think I will leave this conversation here as I would like to start a fresh episode with Snape's first appearance and subsequent interaction with Harry as the primary topic. Future podcasts will be a good bit longer than this introduction, so I hope you stick around, either because you found this mildly entertaining or somewhat comical. So, until we meet again, this is the Half-Blood Principle.